In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Comfort, comfort ye my people, heralds Isaiah the prophet to the people of Israel. Comfort, comfort ye my people, heralds Isaiah to us today. His message is one that gives you whiplash if you are reading his gospel, or sorry, not his gospel, there is lots of gospel in it, but his book of prophecy. He is a herald of judgment to Israel. His message is not repent lest ye be judged, but rather that it is too late. For the nation, the time of repentance has passed. Ye will be judged, says Isaiah. Isaiah's book begins by calling upon the earth and the heavens to bear witness, to testify against the sins of the people, a court of all creation to pronounce a verdict. They have been corrupt, decadent, licentious, faithless, idolatrous. They have turned their backs on God. They are dumber than the ox. They are slower than the donkey. From the soles of their feet to the top of their head, they are sick and weak, with no soundness in them. Isaiah warns, Assyria is coming, Babylon is coming, and they will be the arm of God's judgment. And yet in the midst of the accusations, Isaiah's book is also filled with some of the brightest and clearest gospel in all the Old Testament. To the faithful few, the remnant that remains the true Israel of God within that outward polity, and also to all those who might repent in the judgment, Isaiah preaches the gospel. A message of hope and redemption. In the darkness, the bright light of the gospel shines forth. Despite their unfaithfulness, Despite their oppression of the poor and widowed, despite their bloodlust, and despite their idolatrous service to other gods, the promises of the Lord once delivered to Abraham will be fulfilled. They will come to pass. The promises given to all the patriarchs will come to pass. For even when we are faithless, he is faithful, and he does not de de uh, desire the death of the sinner, but that all might repent. The word of the Lord endures forever. And so in the midst of these stern and serious warnings of judgment, the prophet bursts forth with this proclamation. Comfort, comfort ye my people, says your God. And what is that comfort? the message put onto Isaiah's lips. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Salvation is coming. The wicked will be defeated. The Messiah cannot be stopped. Pardon will be given. But note something strange about this prophecy. It is prophesying a future event, but it is rendered in the present tense. Why is that? Because with God, a promise of a future event is as good as being done already. 
He has said it. It will be so. And so also, because of and by their faith in the promises of God, that future salvation is already present to Israel. The nation might be judged, but the faithful remnant, the true Israel of God, will not enter into eternal judgment, but eternal life through faith in him who is to come. Already her iniquities, the iniquities of all the people of God, are forgiven, and they receive a double portion for all their sins, a double blessing and great gain. Because not only are their sins removed by God's forgiveness, but a righteousness alien to them is given. The very righteousness of God is theirs. This, of course, speaks about Christ's work, who forgives sins by his cross, but also gives us his righteousness as we are united with his death and his resurrection through the means of grace. Isaiah, Isaiah sees and heralds the coming of another herald, a voice which cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God stands forever. And this herald would be the messenger, the last of the prophets of old, to prepare the way for the word of God incarnate. Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all God's promises in a concrete person. Jesus, who is the law of God in the flesh. Jesus, who is the grace of God in the body and blood, the unconquerable, undefeatable, imprint and exact image of God's nature. The herald of his coming, the voice crying out in the wilderness, is this strange man clothed with camel's hair, who wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. An Old Testament holy man, set apart from his very conception for service to the Lord. He is in the wilderness, detached from the civilized society, which is perishing in its iniquity. His voice calls out, calls out from outside, cries out, hearkening all to hear. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here, take heed. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is breaking into our world. The pardon from sin which Isaiah foresaw, he comes. He is greater than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? That he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He will make you new men and new women under a new covenant, which is far better than the last. This is John's message. It is the same as that prophesied by Jeremiah many centuries before. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, my covenant that they broke. 
This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. A new covenant, a covenant of pardon, of sins forgotten, in which the heart of man is renewed by the law of God, transcribed into their hearts, forgiven, the hearts of stone broken, hearts of flesh given, a new heart given by the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out by the Messiah. It is that covenant to which Ezekiel also testified. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all uncleanness. Who is the Messiah whom John heralds, to whom the prophets testified? It is Jesus, as John himself makes perfectly clear, when he points to Christ and declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the new covenant, it is that covenant instituted by Christ himself at the Last Supper, when he says, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And it is inaugurated in his death and his resurrection. A unilateral covenant, the promises of which are received in the waters of holy baptism. As Peter preached on Pentecost, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children, and all who are far off, everyone who the Lord God calls to himself. All flesh is like grass, and all its beauty like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. His promises are kept, and they are kept in Jesus. The faithful remnant, those in Israel who repented, and you, dear saints in Zion, receive from the Lord a double gift for all your sins. You receive forgiveness by the shed blood of Jesus. But Christ's gift in baptism, in his word, in his body and blood, are more than this. He baptizes not with only water, simply for the forgiveness of sins, but with the Holy Spirit to make you new. He gives you a new heart. You are given his righteousness and that is a gift beyond all measure it is upon his perfect righteousness alone that we may stand before god but he is lavish in his grace and he also gives you a righteousness that is your own it is inchoate it is not yet perfect the sinful flesh clings to us in this life but nonetheless, truly, you are a new man or new woman. That is an article of faith. 
You are given a love for God and a love for your neighbor by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit, which is your own and which you did not have before. You have been given a new will to wage a war against the sins and vices in your flesh and pursue the things of God, which you could not before. And this is an important thing that we sometimes forget. Because of the fact that we so rightly emphasize our passivity in justification, that we are declared righteous before God on the count of Christ's work alone, by his righteousness alone, and contribute nothing to our salvation, and that we are regenerated by the gift and power of the Holy Spirit alone. Because of this, we sometimes think that we are passive in the rest of our lives, that we have no chance of overcoming this or that besetting sin, that we'll never be a better mother or father, a better husband or wife. But this is not so. It is true that we will never be perfect, this side of glory, that we'll never be perfect. But you were not made a Christian to receive God's gifts on Sunday morning in the divine service and then to live as a pagan the other six days of, a week, of the week. God does not forgive you to leave you to wallow in your sins. While acknowledging our continued weakness, our lives nevertheless can be transformed. Paul sums it up perfectly. He sums up the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and John in his epistle to Titus. He says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, what is that? When Jesus came, the fulfillment of all God's promises, the incarnation of his word, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. That's justification by grace alone, pure forgiveness, the giving of his alien righteousness. And how does he do it? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that is by the baptism with water and the Spirit. And note that it is not just forgiveness that he gives in baptism, but regeneration and renewal. Paul goes on, so that being justified, declared righteous, by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. The life of faith is passive in justification. It simply receives the gifts of God. The baptism of water in the Spirit brought by the Lord Christ, our Messiah. But it is active in the sphere of the world. Hear what Paul's just said. Because of this justification, those who have received the grace of God by faith alone ought to be careful to devote themselves to good works. It is only because of our justification and renewal of the Holy Spirit that the Christian is truly free, in a sense that no one else is. The baptism with the Spirit, the washing of regeneration, gives us the ability, the power, to be truly active in the sphere of this world. 
and in spiritual matters in a way that is unique to the children of God. Ironically, it is the pagan who is passive in all things, who has no control over their lives, who is influenced and blown around by forces outside their power, forces they do not recognize or understand. It is the pagan who is unmoored and carried by the tide unsteady and floating with the winds of culture driven here and there by their own passions, which they do not comprehend. We see this in the unsteadiness of our culture. When I visit our shut-ins, I love to hear about their uh, early life, their childhood, their youth, and the, the days when they be first began to start their family. And I am often struck by the fact that the world they describe is not at all a world that I recognize. They were born into a completely different world, it seems. And in the course of one lifetime, everything has changed. In some ways, for the better, for sure, but in most ways, I would say, probably not. I should probably give some examples, but the sermon's already getting on the long side, so I will skip by that, and I don't think I need to, right? Because if you are as old as me, right, I'm in my early 30s, uh, my knees don't quite bend like they used to, my back starts to hurt if I sleep on the floor with the girls, but I am by no means an old man, right? If you are only as old as me, you can think about, just for a few minutes, the way things were in your youth, the way the culture was in your youth versus today in the course of just a couple decades, and see how things have changed radically. How that which was unthinkable then is now commonplace now, and that which was commonplace then is unthinkable now. It's unstable, it's unsteady, it's constantly changing. And how can this be that in such a short time so much has changed? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Our society and our culture has come unmoored, detached from the word of God. It is no longer anchored in Christ. And so it is unstable, it is drifting, it is cast about. The word endures forever, Christ endures. Those things not anchored in him are in constant flux, and they are perishing. But to you I say, comfort, comfort, beloved people of God. The voice in the wilderness has cried out, and the one to whom he testified has come. The unconquerable, ever-enduring word has taken upon himself our perishing flesh and anchored it in himself. From him you have received the double payment for your sins. Been baptized by water and the Spirit. You are free, free from the judgment by his shed blood. You know your end and destiny, and it is eternal life with Christ. And when you know the end, you can endure all things. You can stand in the fir firm in the tempest. And you are free from slavery to sin and you have the regeneration of the Spirit. And so you may be active, you may pursue vigorously the things of God, both spiritual and loving service to your neighbor. And when you fail, you know you have the pardon, you know that you are justified by Christ's work alone, so that you may start 
that struggle against sin anew every day. Amen. You may rise for the offertory. Thank you.